Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking. So without further ado, let's get started. Today I am back talking to Dr. Katerina Kantatsis, uh, Katerina Draper from the University of Gloucestershire, a senior lecturer in psychology. And this is our second talk where we are talking about how children learn languages. And in our first episode, if you've not heard it, we discuss the whole language acquisition process, how it starts before birth, and how children are kind of you know, innately ready to learn language you know, from before birth. And what we said we'd talk about today is how they do more than one language and yeah. really get into the sort of the process of that and how it works and how parents can support that process Absolutely. and some of the uh, tricks of the trade. Because as well as being a psychology lecturer, you are also a bilingual person. I am, yes. <laughs> and you have uh, children who are, you know, being brought up with yes. two languages. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your kind of language um, adventures, if yeah. you like. So um, I grew up in Greece. Mm. My dad is Greek and my mum is British. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with both languages. So mm -hmm. I learned, I actually spoke Greek first. Yeah. Um, and then I happened to go to an English speaking nursery and then I spoke more English than I did Greek. Mm. Um, and then throughout my life, it's sort of varied. I'd go from being sort of more dominant Greek, then more dominant English. And then I found my social language was stronger in Greek because mm. more of my friends were Greek, whereas my academic language was more English because that's what I was learning in. Mm -hmm. So it really varied through mm. my life. And I've now lived in the UK for um, over 10 years. Mm. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how many, but over 10 years. And, you know, predominantly I speak English both mm -hmm. at work and at home. My husband's um, English. And now I've got a little boy mm. and another one on the way. We mm. don't, don't know whether it's a boy or a girl. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, we are bringing him up bilingual. Mm -hmm. um, he's got a lot more exposure to English, obviously, mm. because on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm the only person who speaks Greek, although my husband is making a very, mm. very good effort mm -hmm. to learn more Greek words and mm. interact with him because he seems to be responding better to my husband speaking Greek than he does <laughs> me, which is very bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, there's no recipe, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, so, that, yeah so that's, I think, one of the key points that we're going yeah. to talk about is that actually having a, a bilingual family or a multilingual family, there isn't one cut and paste no. way of doing it no absolutely um not. so in the first series of the podcast thomas back and i discussed how our brains mm -hmm. are actually kind of primed and have developed or evolved to be multilingual yeah and that having one language is perhaps you know the unusual yeah i think um, in the uk it's really mm. well in not just the uk but we're talking about the uk here but mm. It's quite unusual that the majority of people only speak one language mm. um, across the world. Mm. You know, multilingualism is the absolute norm. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, whether it's that there's a main language that your tribe speaks, but then mm. the country speaks a different one. And then you also mm -hmm. learn the, the couple of languages that your neighboring tribes learn mm. because you need to... Um, interact and, with them and for example maybe the language of trade of boats Absolutely. coming in at the coast yeah yeah so, so yeah. there's lots of different you yeah. know we're quite mm. an exception mm. in the uk mm -hmm. you know only having one yes. language so in that context it feels like bilingualism is you know the the unusual thing but actually 
key point to sort of lay yeah. on the table is that it is perfectly normal yes absolutely. and our brains are very well adapted yeah. so if you haven't um, listened to the first series then go and listen to thomas and i discussing why multilingual is normal yeah but for um for parents introducing more than mm-hmm. one language to their children it can perhaps feel quite daunting. It is so daunting. Talk, talk us through like how it might work. So, I mean, I think the classic model that mm. a lot of families quite like is one parent speaks one language and the other parent speaks another. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in a way, it's it's a very comforting model because you can be reasonably sure that baby is getting or, or young child is getting equal exposure mm. to both languages. I'm talking about two, it could be 10, but mm. let's, it may keep it simple, but two languages. Mm. Um, and you can be reasonably sure that they're getting equal exposure. It's mm. quite, and that's quite reassuring for parents to mm-hmm. know that, you know, we haven't used more English than we have you know, Greek, mm. say in my situation. Um, but actually it's not necessary. Mm. You know, you can have families that are speaking three languages in the same sentence Mm -hmm. and conversations can be taking place Mm. with one person speaking one language another speaking a different one Mm. you know and it really doesn't matter in a sense Um, what what does matter then is it just the that the point gets made it's important that Mm. they hear them Mm. you know primarily as we were talking in the first episode about um you know the sounds of the language and how different languages have different sounds Mm. um so it's important that they get exposed to those sounds Mm. and again as we were talking about in the first episode that communication that there's a back and forth Mm -hmm. that you're that there's an interaction yes it's a rich yeah, a rich absolutely. interaction with the language and, and mm. what you'll find from sort of older bilinguals is that they find some words in some languages more comfortable than others mm-hmm. maybe it's just that mm-hmm. the word matches what mm. they're trying to say a bit better or maybe mm. it's a bit more close to the mm. concept that they're trying to to um, express for example yes um, it's so because you've might... got a menu of options exactly. you're going to pick the word that yeah. is the most readily yeah. available yeah. as well aren't you so if you really like the word for cat Mm. in a language then use Mm. that word if that you know is Mm. describes that situation better Mm -hmm. um than say the other language Mm. that you speak at home i was um i was having an interesting chat with my uh, taxi driver Mm -hmm. the other week when i went to the linguistics conference in cambridge and he um said his family speaks urdu and um punjabi and that they will um also they'll speak english as well so they will say things like um put it in the dubba which is the Tupperware, and the yeah. Dubbo is far more yeah. readily available word for Tupperware. Tup- yeah. um, and that's just, you know, a very multilingual, normal thing to do, mm-hmm. isn't it? Absolutely. So, so parents don't have to be entirely strict. So, you know, if you are, say, in a family where you've got Greek, one parent, English, another parent, and you swap the languages around it a bit, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not going to matter. No. And as I Can, said, you know, my, mm. we, we realised that for some reason my son was picking up... Mm was happier to sort of interact in Greek and pick up words Mm. from my husband. Mm. So, you know, I've now focused on teaching my husband more Greek words, Mm. or he'd like me to Mm. do it more, but, Mm. um, you know, and he's really focusing on learning words Mm. so that he can then pass them on Mm. to to our little So it really is very dependent on the context of each family, isn't it? So, you know, there isn't a right way of doing it because it's just your way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. And what's comfortable. And the, the key thing is, is that you are actually doing the languages you know yeah um so it's not sort of a question of nitpicking about methodology as much as just what's comfortable just, yeah for you guys in exactly. your in your own house so. and the interaction mm. i think that's mm. what's key i think um 
you know, I, I sometimes, some parents ask me about multilingualism mm. and, you know, I will say, well, you know, just, just have the radio on mm. in your other language, if it's, say, um, English and Italian, um, you know, mm. maybe put Italian radio on mm. in the background. And that's fine because they're hearing the sounds, they're hearing the interaction, mm-hmm. but actually it's nowhere near as rich as if you were just having mm. a conversation with the child in yes. that language it's fine they're hearing the sounds and that that's mm. good you know it's part of their environment it's part of their mm. day-to-day living um but they won't get as much particularly before the age of two yes. from tv or radio as they would from well, actually interacting yes, with exactly you. so it is very much about the interaction as yeah. we were talking about in episode one i remember a study of um children who were learning chinese i think mm-hmm. in america and they had some children with a nanny yeah some children doing lessons via Skype and some children having a DVD of Chinese. And I think the findings um, were that the DVD had no effect on these young children because it's just not interactive. But surprisingly, it wasn't the screen that was a barrier because the Skype and the nanny had a really similar... Yeah. It's it's really very much about... It's about that interaction. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we can talk... It would be a whole other episode Mm -hmm. on the effects of technology, but, Mm -hmm. you know, technology can be used in Mm -hmm. a really positive way. Yes. You know, you could have a DVD in that, you know, in the other language that Mm -hmm. you're wanting to learn as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And they can watch it, but, you know talk to them about it and ask them questions and label things Mm. and do it together do it together yeah Mm. and what you know if you're if for whatever reason you know Mm. it was shapes that you were focusing Mm. on in that dvd Mm. when you go out and you spot shapes or if you're reading another book or Mm. you're cooking or whatever Mm. it is that you're doing and you spot those shapes then relabel them Mm -hmm. you know re-establish those links Mm -hmm. in the other language yes exactly and so even if um a lot of my uh, baby babies um, parents are not, say, fluent in another language. Yeah. You can be modelling the learning course, process as yeah, well, can't you? Yeah. Which is really important for children yeah. to see how do we actually pick these things up? It's not just beamed in from outer space. Exactly. There, is a, there is a learning process. Um, I remember learning French from Muzzy, you know, the mm. big green monster. There's a BBC series. And, um, and it's because, you know, my parents, we were all chatting about yeah. it and he, well, Muzzy, like, became part of our yeah. conversations. And yeah. So... Um, so it's not actually the fact that it's technology that will no. put children off, but and I think it's how technology's done. You know, mm. I'm really interested in, um, and I don't think anyone's done this research yet. Mm. But um, differences between, say, programs like Dora the Explorer, mm. where, which is obviously doing it in a couple of languages, mm. but um, they she gives gaps mm-hmm. to allow the children to respond. If anyone's mm-hmm. watched Dora, mm-hmm. oh, yes. um, I really feel sorry for you. But <laughs> equally, you know, she does give, she'll go, oh, so where is, is it Swiper? So where's mm-hmm. Swiper? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it gives a gap in the dialogue for mm-hmm. the children who are watching to respond. Yes. And I actually think that's probably better mm-hmm. than a program where there's just dialogue going on all the time because it mm-hmm. allows the children Mm-hmm. to have that mm-hmm. some element of interaction right with oh, that, that would language. be interesting yeah. research let's yeah. talk that one up for the future um so let's talk a little bit about some of the myths of yeah. like multilingualism um can you you know we know we can't confuse a child but no. just um can can you mix up your languages to the extent that even within a sentence you can uh, sort of mix and match i mean is yeah. that absolutely you know, children's so, comfortable with that yeah Absolutely. So, you know, I grew up doing this. Mm. It was, you know, it was t- called talking Greenglish or Greeklish, as some people call it. <laughs> um, and it's just that, that within mm. a sentence, you can, 
use half one language, half another, or just throw a word in from one of the languages. And Mm -hmm. kids are fine with it. There seems Mm. to be something about children that means that they can quite readily divide languages Mm. and, you know, store them, if Mm. you like, in the appropriate language context. Mm. Um, So there's there's very little confusion. And Mm. research showed that they can do this with very similar languages so something like english and german which a lot of the sounds and a lot of the words are very similar Mm. and also very different languages so a child that's learning english and japanese for example Mm. um will very easily divide languages and Mm. be able to understand which language is which but Mm. so will a child who's learning english and german which are much more similar so my best friend is english um and german Mm -hmm. and she will put german endings on english things so something with the lichen on the end um and i you know um i used to work in paris and the lady i worked for was spanish canadian and married to a french man so her children had three languages so the children would come in and say maman j'en veux please um (laughs) you know and they would just you know they would Mix the languages quite happily. Yeah, and mainly to, mainly to get what they wanted. Yeah, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah, I think you know, there's there's lots of work on um, the suitability of words in contexts, mm. and for some reason, we seem to find some words. If you speak a number of languages, like mm. those children are a great example. They've got three languages available mm. to them. You will find the word that is most appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feelings is often a really mm. good one because they're quite hard to express. And mm-hmm. if you find that in language A, there's not really a word mm. that expresses how you're feeling or you don't know a word that's expressing mm-hmm. exactly how you're feeling, but you do know one in language B, mm. then you might say, oh, I'm feeling mm. X. And that because it just fits better mm-hmm. um, or because it's easier, you know, the example of the taxi driver, mm. that the word for Tupperware was much easier mm. in the other language than it was in English, for example. Yeah. So there's, you know, we like to be efficient. Mm-hmm. As I said, I think in the first episode, mm-hmm. um, our brains like to be efficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we make the most of that. Are we essentially just lazy then? Or just- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether we're lazy. We're just efficient. Yeah, yeah efficient. <laughs> it's a much kinder way of saying um, so things that we can do to support a multilingual upbringing, yeah. perhaps even if you're not um, a multilingual mm-hmm. family, but you want to get a language-rich environment for your yeah. children, what kind of things might parents um, do? So, you know, I'm thinking of a parent who really doesn't speak another language. You know, try you know, things like singing, mm-hmm. obviously, in different languages. We talked about the importance mm-hmm. of music and nursery rhymes and language development in mm-hmm. the first episode, So, and that holds true Mm. in second third fifth tenth Mm -hmm. language acquisition Mm -hmm. um it makes it into a really positive Mm -hmm. experience without any sort of you know you're not sitting down with a book Mm. you know teaching them the letters um you know which brings me nicely on books are great Mm. probably ones where you can understand the alphabet so you Mm -hmm. can start trying to decipher what the words might sound like so Mm -hmm. you can label the words there's lots of word mm. books out there that'll be like my first 10 spanish words for example mm-hmm. you know use that one instead mm. of your um standard english 10 word mm. book you know is get... it that's an interesting point is it useful to teach words in isolation or should we try and do something in the context not really i mean mm. i think in the in terms of books you know it's fine to go through and go oh, look it's a ball or mm. that's fine but then they need to be put into context mm. you know it's it's fine reading a book and, you know, I would never be an advocate of not reading a book in mm. any context. I mm. think reading books is so important for everyone. Mm. But, 
you then need to go, oh, look, it's like the, the you know, I'll use the Greeks. So say you've learnt bala, which is ball in Greek, and then you go out to the park with the bala, you know, and then you're reinforcing mm. that conversation and you're, you're yeah. putting it into the real world and giving mm-hmm. the child the opportunity to practice. Yes, and you're word. kind of almost holding this word up and looking at it from yeah, all angles. Absolutely. And like if you imagine a child picking up a little um, a block that fits mm. in different shaped holes. They're going to try that, aren't they, yeah. in lots of different ways. Yeah. So um, a colleague of mine has Italian <laughs> husband and Italian-speaking children, and they speak English and Italian, and they will try the word for milk in different contexts, like yeah. in nursery. And in nursery, they'll get a you know a sort of shrug, like, oh, yeah. no, I don't know, latte. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. she's looking for milk. And yeah. then eventually they'll work out, well, that shaped brick doesn't fit in this shaped hole. Absolutely. So yeah. then they will become more accurate. Yeah. And very quickly, you know, there's lots of um, videos on the internet, but also, you know, studies that have been done that very young children very quickly pick up who understands what mm. language mm-hmm. so you know my little boy wouldn't go to my husband's parents yes. and start speaking greek to them because mm-hmm. he knows that they wouldn't understand mm. um so they very quickly pick up on they've done a um, lot of trial and error yeah, processing exactly, haven't they yeah. by that point and then, you know they it's all about that interaction mm. again they'll see that they're not getting that interaction mm. from those adults because they don't necessarily have those words mm-hmm. um so again it comes come to the positive reinforcement then so yeah. if somebody yeah, gives true. you a blank look you think, yeah. oh, hang on, that didn't work. Yeah, I'll, I'll try something else. I'll try um, option B in my repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So we've got songs and books, and um, we can also just, you know, do our TV chef kind of yeah, narration of narration, the day absolutely. and try and put some, you know, new words in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really advocate learning together. So if you don't know how to do something and you want your children to be learning, say, French or something, you, you know, do it together. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's fine not to know the answers yeah, as well. Absolutely. It? And I think yeah. that, you know, that's an important lesson in parenting anyway, that mm. it's fine not to know all the answers. Mm. But, um, and that's kind of what I was getting to with the book that, mm-hmm. you know, pick one up that you're, you know, there's no point picking up a Japanese book if you mm. don't know the Japanese alphabet because you're never going to be able to mm. decipher mm. unless it's been anglicised in, mm. in its writing. Um, but script, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't understand it so you know pick up a spanish book for example Mm. and the alphabet's the same you can pretty much Mm. make out the words you might get some of the pronunciations wrong it really doesn't matter but a lot of Um, books now you get the audio linked uh, text as well so you can you know use the tech again technology can be a tool that you can use to yeah, and I'm always I'm very you. jealous because I'm not as confident as I should be Mm. of people who are able to go to another country and just practice that Mm. language and Mm. they don't mind you know they're aware that they're going to make mistakes and they're not going to pronounce things right and Mm. their grammar's a little bit all over the place but Mm -hmm. a it's great practice Mm. because you're really submerging yourself in that Mm -hmm. language and b the the locals the native speakers of that language will never object to somebody who's trying their best and making mistakes over somebody who just can't be bothered Mm -hmm. you know so and i i'm not a great advocate of it because i'm not brave enough but Mm. i do know people who are incredible so i think just try it just go for it just yes exactly and build up um your children's confidence in having a go it's actually it's really encouraging to see you know someone making effort it's very human to want to interact with people i think and kids will do Mm. what they see you know if Mm. they see you as you say Mm. making an effort and trialing things and Mm you know, making mistakes and being okay with that, Mm. then they will Mm. be the same. They will do that as Mm. well. 
Um, and at home as well, you can perhaps introduce, say, um, if you're playing with the farm animals, and you might make a, a context for yourself, mm -hmm. or let's practice, yeah. you know, um, and try and learn the words for farm animals, yeah. or, or I wonder what animals say in different languages. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, um, I know you've done a bit of research into onomatopoeia and yeah. animal noises. So I remember getting completely stuck because I was doing French noises of animals with my son. Um, I got to a giraffe, and he was like, oh, um, what does a giraffe oh, say in French? <laughs> I've got no idea what a giraffe says in French, so if you can... I don't know I, what a I giraffe says in English. I don't know what a giraffe <laughs> says in English either, so I think I should have planned that better and picked animals that I actually knew I could help um, find the noises for. But it's, um, you know, just really interesting as, a, as an adult to kind of explore yeah. these things. So um, pigs, they have all sorts of interesting yeah. noises in different languages, and dogs, they say different things. Why, why is it that noises are... Um, represented differently. So. Um, so to be honest, this is still a relatively early mm. stage research area. Um, sort of that symbolic language, you know, those links mm. between things that we say and things that so onomatopoeia, as you mm. were saying, and other aspects of language. Um, it's not really clear why we have different noises. Because, you know, a dog mm. makes the same noise mm. in England, in Japan, mm -hmm. in Greece in mm. France um, and yet we've got very different words for it we've got yeah different and ways of representing exactly. that exactly and what sound. I think it probably is is going back to what we were talking in the first podcast mm. where those the sensitivities to sounds mm. um, and how we put some of them in the cabinet mm -hmm. we will try and identify the sound that is closest mm. to something that we are aware of mm. in the noise that the dog for example is making mm -hmm. so um a Greek speaker, so say a dog barks, mm. um, a Greek speaker would hear a rh sound in it, like rav, that's the mm. Greek word for bark, rav, rav. Um, an English speaker wouldn't hear mm. rh because mm. that's not an English sound. Mm -hmm. um, so, so they would use a different sound. In, in um, Japanese, interesting, it's one one. Mm. Um, I don't know where the W comes from because we have it in English as well. It's woof and French is... Waff. Waff. Yeah. So I don't know where the W comes from because I've never heard the dog. And, and some of them is w. bow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in English, I know we have bow, bow wow, wow as well. Yeah. So there's sort of a similarity. There if we go back to Proto-Indo-European, yeah. maybe we'll find a link there. But, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. The, the short answer is we're, we're not sure why they're different. Um, but in many ways, they're also quite similar. Mm. Um, so it would depend on your... Um, sounds that are available. I think so, yeah. How I mean, you, as I say, I'm speculating how, massively. Yes, and perhaps how we write it down depends on, you know, what yeah, we exactly. would expect to find. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, children always um, seem to like knowing what a fire engine noise yeah. is in different languages. And yeah. So um, it's one thing you could have a play with, basically. Yeah. It's kind of good just to play with languages, isn't it? It and is, just, yeah. yeah. It's really good and fun. Show that and it's fun. On Matapia is such a great one. There's mm. something, I think... Uh, I'm a bit biased because it is my area of research and mm. what I did my PhD on. But um, I think onomatopoeia is fascinating. We use it all over the world, mm. that, to my knowledge. Um, it's, it's pretty much universally used. Mm. And this, intuitively, I think there must be a special link there between, mm. um, like we were talking about in the first episode, kids being able to understand that this noise that we're making from our mouths mm. and this object or situation in the world, mm -hmm. that they're linked. Um, it's a really mm. easy way to make that link. You know, mm -hmm. if I hear a cow going moo mm. and somebody says, oh, look, it's a moo cow, mm. you're very quickly making that link between the noise mm -hmm. I'm making in my mouth mm. and 
this object in the world. Yeah, so my children really quickly learned that an Italian cow is la mucca because yeah, it, it sounded it like, like moo cow yeah. and, you know, la, and cows say moo. Yeah. And so, yeah, even in a multilingual way, like knowing that English and mm-hmm. the Italian kind of came more easily yeah. because we could make the links, I yeah. think. And you yeah. can see how it would make language more accessible mm. um, before we became sort of cornered into using specific language oh I'm an English speaker or I'm a German speaker mm. you just needed to communicate mm. you just needed the next person you saw to mm. understand that there was a tiger about mm. to attack yes and so having <laughs> a very quick symbolic way of communicating mm. that whether it was through gesture whether it was through mm. onomatopoeic type sounds mm-hmm. it was really important to be able to get that message across quickly mm. yes and I think that's kind of descended a little bit. It's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? Is it coming back again to like the survival mm. instinct that humans yeah. have? And language is a really important part of our, absolutely. Um, you know, what it is to be human and how we interact yeah. with each other. Um, so, if you're in a multilingual household, you want your child to, um, you know, be equally fluent in two languages. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that really a, a, an achievable thing? Is there such a thing as equal proficiency? Not, or? I mean, I think probably for some people there is, mm. but I mean, this is why doing studies with bilinguals mm. is a nightmare because mm. there's so many different ways to become bilingual. Some people will learn 50-50 of each language from birth every day for the rest of their lives. Mm. Most people will have one language which maybe they're exposed to more because maybe it's the native language of the country they're living in. So mm. their school, the for example, is, yeah. is in that other language. Mm. Um, some people might suddenly move to a different country mm. and at the age of three are having to pick up a whole new language mm. to go to nursery or school, mm. whatever with. So, so just, to, sorry to interrupt you, but just at that point, so um, a lot of people have moved to Britain yeah. and um, is it bad to um kind of keep the home we call it the home language although I really don't like that term because that language isn't just you know it doesn't stay in the house does it 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 comes with you with you know um I think it's a bit of an inadequate term to call it a home language but parents sometimes get advised to stop speaking that language and it's really bad advice focus on English I mean is that just yeah I think it's really really bad advice Mm. I think you know I, I I don't know how many times we've said communication Mm. in these two podcasts, but again, it comes down to communication because Mm. that child has been thrown into this new environment, Mm. um, you know, sometimes under quite, you know, difficult circumstances. Mm. And actually what they want to do is is meet people and make friends. Mm. And they've got a language that they can use Mm. and they've got a ready population of children who Mm. can pick up, Mm. some words who can give them Mm. other words Mm -hmm. and to see that interaction taking place so Mm. getting that you know let's say a little boy who's Mm. speaking um, Russian Mm. and doesn't know any English to go into an English speaking school and very quickly you know the kids will learn how Mm. to say good morning in Russian Mm. and that will make him feel Mm. You know, and, e- and equally, and, he will learn. And how, he will learn how to say good morning in English very quickly. Yeah, mm. because they need that interaction. It's going back to what we were saying in that first episode mm. about you will, as humans, we will create mm. the opportunities for interaction, and we will find ways to communicate. Mm. And the most mm. important thing is that we keep that communication and going. So, so those parents who have um, got another language that has been the primary yeah. language up until this point of mm-hmm. moving to uh, to England, say. Um, 
if they keep speaking Russian at home, that actually helps yeah, the acquisition of English, doesn't it? Yeah, so because they, it's keeping, it's giving the kids that confidence that mm. I can speak and I can mm. interact and, mm. you know, that there's something familiar in my environment. You know, child development isn't, you know, it, it, it's not segmented. Mm. We can't just look at language. Language is part of our mm. communication, which is part of our attachment, which is part of our development of self which is so it all goes into a bundle and if you Mm. start tearing it apart and pulling Mm. things out such as their native language there's going to be implications potentially for other yes and there's no one yes exactly there's not one bit that is um you know it's all very joined together it's we woven really isn't it it's like a cloth like i quite often see things talking about the child's brain it's like well it's not just in a jar of formaldehyde you know that you know it's very much part of a being and you know we can't and not all brains look the same at birth no you know yes there's some you know there's a typical brain if you like and we like people to fit in Mm. a sort of range of typicality Mm. um but you know to take a picture and say oh this child's brain Mm. hasn't developed well, how I mean, it should. Mm. Well, we don't know where it started from. There is that really infamous <laughs> photograph which <laughs> yeah. um, the popular press always yeah. pulls out of two children's brains, and one is apparently the brain of a very neglected child, mm-hmm. and it is, you know, noticeably smaller and yeah. looks shrunk. So, although just, there's no scale ever on any of the pictures, yeah. but yes, exactly. <laughs> so that is really problematic, isn't it? That yeah. picture because it yeah. does not give you a context. It doesn't give you any context. Mm. You know, I think. I would hope most people understand that um, a bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. A lot of people have heard of that. There's some basic needs that people Mm. need Mm. and those include food, shelter, Mm. protection, etc. And then as you move up the Mm. hierarchy of needs, things like communication, a really low Mm. (laughs) and interaction and love Mm. and care Mm. are are really quite basic Mm. in terms of what we need in our environment Mm. um and you know i think taking away that going back to your question about Mm. the whether they shouldn't be speaking Mm. their native language if they come to the uk Mm. you're taking away part of their interaction Mm. and their love and their their self Mm -hmm. you know that is part of their self they have learnt a series of words Mm. and concepts about who they are and where they are in the world and and, as, and their relationship with their and relationship their with other people mm. yeah and it, you're, you're taking that away you know you're taking away yeah. part of who they are yeah so that could be really quite emotionally yeah. um, traumatizing like you were saying um um in one of our other conversations about the children who were evacuated yes. from london yeah. so um tell me what happened there so yeah so it was um one of the so for a long time we believed that children basically needed food shelter Mm. um and that was pretty much it Mm -hmm. you know if you got their basic needs Mm. covered um then they should grow and be fine and thrive primarily physical i noticed physical yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um and then what we did was we noticed quite in a you know natural context i guess that um during the second world war where children were evacuated from london Mm -hmm. and their basic needs were being met you know they were with their with caring families quite mm. often who had, you know, volunteered to look mm. after these children to make sure they were safe while mm. where their, their home city wasn't safe and they had a good meal, mm. they were in the countryside, so lots of fresh air, you know. It, on paper, it mm. looked like an idyllic situation. Mm. But actually what they found was that a lot of these children were miserable. And it was the first time that we realised mm. that there's something really 
special about mm-hmm. the link between parents and their children mm-hmm. and that pet children need to be with it. I mean, it might not be the first time, but it was a mm-hmm. you know solid example of parents are needed and mm. that familiarity and that context um and needing to, mm-hmm. to know who you are yes yeah, so we're part you know we've got like an integrated yeah. life haven't we Absolutely. everything is you know yeah. nothing fits together. stands alone take yeah. one part away then the whole thing Absolutely. can uh, you know has a knock-on effect yeah, um oh thank you so much Kat. it's thank been really you. interesting to talk to you yeah, um lovely. and hopefully parents will feel like that they can just relax about yeah. languages with their yeah, children absolutely. It, just know, enjoy it yeah enjoy it it's part yeah. of the whole upbringing yeah. it's not just you know we can we can get really focused yeah. on language acquisition yeah. um and its importance but actually it's it's part of the jigsaw isn't it? yeah it's absolutely not, and I, mm. just a sort of um personal example we did babel babies when mm. um my little one was younger and mm. we went just before he turned one we went on holiday mm. in tenerife and i am that classic horrendous tourist who doesn't learn anything um <laughs> on holiday and just expects people to probably because i've always gone on holiday to greece so i just assume that people are going to speak <laughs> greek um so it's never crossed my mind mm. um and i was really pleased that i was able to actually have some conversation in spanish mm. with you know the waiters at the hotel for example or people in the shops mm. um and you know my little one was was watching that and he would yeah. say hola to people in the oh, morning for amazing. example so mm. you know it was really nice to see the beginning of that mm. confidence mm-hmm. i guess in speaking more than one language yes, right. and that confidence comes from a real secure yeah. sort of relationship pattern doesn't yes, it and absolutely. that sort of um yeah. part of the upbringing yeah um that's that's wonderful thank you so much what a lovely <laughs> note to you. end on <laughs> thank you take care bye